Hey everybody, welcome to the City Church Podcast, doing some bonus content here with Pastor John Witte. However you're engaging with us, whether you're on our Make Peace page or whether you found us through iTunes, we're glad you're here with us. My name is John Pyle, I'm the digital pastor here, and I'll just be talking to Pastor Witte about his new series that talks about relationships and conflict. And John, one of the things you said on Sunday as you ended your sermon was, Come back next week. I'm going to tell you something you don't want to hear. Yeah. Okay. You got to expand upon that. <laughs> tell us more about that. Well, before I uh, probably answer specifically yeah. what you don't want to hear, I might need to talk about what we want. I'll, <laughs> okay. Always start with that. That's uh, always better. Yeah, because that sets context for it. You know, uh, John, in my talk, I told this story that I hope people uh, found at least a little bit humorous. I did. As I experienced it, I was in HEB uh, over here at 1604 and um, and Bandera, and I was back on the back of the store getting ready to go get some milk. And it's a it's a really wide aisle, and I had this experience I've never had before. Uh, all of a sudden, I just heard this basketball that was like being slammed, you know, bounced, yeah. not just dribbled. I mean, it was really being bounced. And this thing just kept getting closer and closer to me. And I didn't have time to say in the message that my back was toward all of this. I'm headed toward the milk section. And as this thing got closer to me, I got really uncomfortable. And I felt like, you know, like somebody's about to run over me. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I was kind of surprised at how much emotion kind of welt up in me in a, in a hurry. And I really got kind of angry about it. Like, what is this? What's going on? What's this guy coming in here, you know, into my space? Yeah. Well, I could hear that he was sort of headed to the right. So, so I took my little <laughs> cart and I just veered to the right, man. It's like, I'm cutting this dude off. And... Um, and I realized later, this only took a couple seconds to unfold, but uh, we were on kind of a, a collision course, you know, to run into each other. And John, that was just fine with me. Mm. I didn't care if we did because uh, I felt like what he was doing, that this was just the wrong place to be playing, playing basketball. Yeah. And, you know, I love the game. Uh, I played it all the time growing up. I get loving the game. But, you know, playing it in a public place like that and stuff, for me, it just felt wrong. And so um, as I thought about that later on, I realized that I felt so certain that I was right and that he was wrong, that this is why I welcomed the collision. But later I realized, even though I thought I was right, I was wrong too, mm. <laughs> because Head-on collisions usually turn out badly. And the illustration I used in my talk was if you're, if you're getting ready to have a head-on collision, maybe a drunk driver is swerving into your lane or something, and you refuse to move because it's your lane and it's my right to be here, you're still going to have a head-on collision. And yeah. is that what you really want? Well... You know, the truth of the matter is we're living nowadays in our own culture. There's just a lot of conflict going on in our culture, John. Mm -hmm. we got political conflict yep. everywhere in a very unusual election cycle this year. Uh, we've got racial conflict going on. We've got, you know, sexual orientation issue conflict going right. on. we got a lot of stuff going on. And you're hearing people really sound off about this. And it kind of helped me realize that as Americans, we sort of have this sense, I'm, I'm entitled 
to my rights and I'm right about wanting to press my rights and mm. fight for my rights and people are pretty free to do that. But when it comes to personal relationships and you start fighting for your rights with each other, even if you're right and the other person is wrong, you're still going to have this head-on collision. And head-on collisions just don't turn out well. And so the best thing to do to survive a head-on collision is to avoid it, mm. is to not have it in the first place. Now, of course, there are some head-on collisions that you can't avoid. There, yeah. There's some times when you have to press your rights. For example, let's say that uh, maybe a, there's a woman who's being abused in a right. relationship or something like that. She has to press her rights and get out of that. I mean, so we're not talking about that kind of thing. We're talking about when you prefer one thing and I prefer something else, and I always feel like I have my preference has to win. I have to get my way. Right. That's what we're talking about because in in our relationships, you know, husbands, wives, or new roommates or whatever mm -hmm. uh, when you're learning how to you know live with somebody and you yeah. don't know that other person and you're still getting to know them there's all kinds of differences that you have and there are going to be a lot of little conflicts that come up fires right. that come up and right. you got to decide what you're going to do about that are you always going to press your rights are you always going to be the one who has to win well it's natural that's what we want, especially when we think we're right. Yeah. Why would we want to acquiesce to the person yeah. that we're certain uh, he or she is wrong? Yeah. So this is just human nature. That's what we want. We want to press our rights. We want to be right. We want others to know we're right. And I have a right to be right. Yeah, it's kind of it, the way we feel. It's funny you talk about the roommate situation. We might have some college students going back to college, it, but I remember from my day as a resident advisor. Right. The best way to prevent conflict between two roommates huh. was to fill out the roommate agreement form <laughs> when you moved in. So there's a form that your RA gives you that has you fill out and says, I like my music this loud, yeah. or this is how often I think we should clean. And then you bring them together yeah. and you go, oh, look, these three things are totally off and are going to cause conflict. Yep. Because of preferences. Right. It's not about your religion. It's not about money. It's not about any of these deeply held things. Yeah. It was just about the daily preferences right. that create these collisions you're talking about. Exactly. So that three months into the semester when somebody's trying to take a final uh -huh. and somebody wants to party, right. that is a conflict you can deal with the first week of school. Exactly. And so you're talking about preferences, not the needs, but uh, yeah, yeah, not, not really serious deep. And, and of course they feel serious and deep to us, even if it's just a preference. Because they're ours. Yeah, because they're <laughs> ours and it affects us and it affects my happiness and what I want. And so since that's what we want, but the, but collisions don't turn out well, and the best way to survive them is to avoid them. Then what we're left with is what Paul said. And he said, let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is near. Mm. Well, now remember, he was talking, advising two women in the Philippian church, Yodi and Syntyche. They both thought, hey, I'm more important than you are. And so he told them to each other, hey, let your gentleness be known to each other. And so I told that illustration in the talk from uh, Martin Luther, the great 16th century Protestant reformer who lived in Germany's Black Forest. They had all these pine trees, very dense. And he said sometimes these trees would fall down over a, a ravine. Mm -hmm. If you've hiked in our national parks, you've probably seen stuff like that. 
And so goats, billy goats, would use these as bridges. Instead of walking down the ravine yeah. and back up again, hmm. they would just use that, that fallen tree as a bridge. And it'd save them time, energy, calories, all right. that. Well, sometimes Luther said these two billy goats would get on the tree at the same time, moving in opposite directions. And of course, we know that <laughs> these old goats, what they like to do is butt heads right. and fight. But if they fought in that situation, they'd knock each other off mm. and they'd both fall to their death. So what one of the goats would do is he would lay down on the tree, straddle it, and allow the other goat to walk over his back. Mm -hmm. Then when he was over, he would get up and go on, and in that way, they would both survive. Wow, that's powerful. It is. Yeah, Luther, that's an amazing Luther said that's what the word gentleness means. It's one of the coolest words in the New Testament. And uh, Jesus, it's used of Jesus, that he was gentle. And so... <clears throat> um, one of our words, what you know, kind of like translating that for us would be to yield. It would be to not fight for your rights. Well, John, none of us likes the idea of yielding mm -hmm. to someone no. that we think has wronged us, especially if I think I'm right. Yeah. The, the thought of the person who is right yielding to the person who is wrong seems exactly the opposite from what we think. That we expect the person it. who's no. wrong to yield to the one who's right. Right. But of course, the person who's wrong thinks they're right too. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> okay. So this, this being told that you have to yield uh, and yield your rights perhaps to the other person is just one of the hardest things any of us can do. And so when I said, this is the advice nobody wants to hear, hey, you're right, but you got to yield in order to survive this, just nobody likes yeah. it. And it's understandable. It's countercultural. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's nothing that we're told at any point in our life as kids or ongoing. It's it's share because you have to, or hey, he, he should get some time with the toilet, but you're in control. You're sharing because you want it back later, or because you want, yeah. You know, John, I gotta tell you a funny story. I, uh, this is sort of chasing a rabbit, but I, it'll apply. You it's know. good. So my kids are all young adults now. My youngest is 22, but I remember raising them, right? So when they're young, I wanna raise them with these really solid, you know, Christ-like values, yeah. you know, be humble and right. all of this. But then I would always find myself checking my own advice, mm. saying, now, yield and be humble, but don't let that guy pick yeah. on you. <laughs> right, you know? right. So I don't want my kids to get run over. Right. And so I found myself, even as a parent, being at odds, like... I believe what I'm teaching them, but right. do I really want them to actually practice that? Yeah. Would I don't I, want my kid would, getting run over. Would I even practice it? Yes. And so I have two little ones, a four-year-old <laughs> and a one-year-old, and you see them and you know that sin is just natural. Like it's a part of life because they come out sinners. Yeah. That's just, the, they're selfish and everything else. But to your point, there's a degree that we go, hey, just, hey, be sweet, be kind. But then there's, so, everybody has a line yeah. where if it crosses that line, you you almost give the opposite advice of going, well, you got to stand up for yourself and yeah. that kid is wrong yeah. and he's wrong. And you see these little terrors running around playgrounds that need naps. I, I can think of the, <laughs> I can think of these kids in my head and I watch yeah. my son through the glass yeah. specifically at Chick-fil-A yeah. yeah. or whatever. And I'm going, I really hope that kid doesn't mess with them because I don't know if... I, <laughs> 
I don't, I don't know what I actually want him to do. I know what the Bible tells me to want him to do, but I don't know if I'm like, no, you want to punch that kid? Punch him. Don't let him, don't let him do that. When I have to not only model, I have to encourage him yeah. to be able to say, hey, hey, man, I know that it's not fair. And so think about, John, what you're feeling, because I know what you're feeling. You want your kid to do the right thing. But at the same time, your heart wants to protect mm. your own son yeah. or daughter from being hurt. And so imagine and I, imagine how God felt whenever he gave Jesus to mm. die on the cross for us. He's love. It's what he wanted to do. He can't help but want to do it. But I wonder if there was that emotion in him that also hated to see his own son suffer. Yeah. Right? And this is, this is a part of experiencing what love really is. So if we apply that back to our relationships, part of yielding to the other person isn't just, well, you're completely wrong and you're an idiot, but I'm going to yield to you because I have to. Right. Uh -uh. You're yielding to that other person because you genuinely care about that other person. Ooh. John, that's a completely different motive than just, okay, I want to protect myself. Part right. of yielding is protecting yourself from the head-on collision sure. so you can survive it. But also, always, when we're trying to make peace in our relationships, there just has to come a point where we genuinely care about the other person and not just about ourselves. Yeah, man, that's yeah. good. That's that's love. That's so deep because there's a posture and we've all falsely submitted or yielded the wrong way. Mm -hmm. I, I think of in traffic, Texas drivers tend not to know how to yield. Yield doesn't mean stop, <laughs> right? Yields just means let the other yeah. person have the right of way. Um, but I, I, you can yield for the wrong reason and be honking your heart like, come on, yeah, man, let's yeah, go, right? Yeah. Just thinking about yourself. And so the right. posture that you're talking about yeah. of genuine care for the other person, that's a hard place to get to. Mm. It can be. Mm. Because to your point, you can have a relationship where you're going, yeah, I'm yielding. You're wrong. Yeah. But I'm going to be the good person. Right. <laughs> you're wrong. I'm, I'm going to submit and be the martyr, even though I know I'm right. Right just so that we can move past this collision. So, so the way we, we talked about that this last weekend is what's the motives for yielding, right? So one of the motives, there's two. One Paul gave in right there in this very verse. He said, let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is near. Mm. And we'll come back and talk about that motive in just a second. But the other one is I think he picked it up in verse 8 where he talks about the person that you're in conflict with and he, he says, you know, like whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is true, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, think on these things. So I think part of how Paul was practically telling us to yield to another person is to make another list okay so in the first week we made a list about all the things that god has blessed us with in order to change our perspective and realize that even if i'm in conflict there's still a lot of other things that are so good in my life it kind of shrinks the conflict down but the list we're talking about this week and yielding is i make a list of all the things that is good 
about the person that I'm in conflict with. And when I, and we can talk more about that, but when I do that, then what that does is it gives me legitimate reasons to yield to that person. Right. So when we get into the, when we get into these uh, conflicts with people, John, what we tend to do is blame them for everything. And we think that everything about them is bad and it's not. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that we all have things about us that are good and bad, right? And so uh, none of us are perfectly good and none of us are perfectly bad. There probably is an exception out there, like a a Charles Manson, maybe like a totally useless guy through and through. We might say that kind of thing about a historical figure like a Hitler or something like that. But my guess is is that even those guys had things about them that were actually good. Mm -hmm. So what Paul says is, is that if we're going to yield to a person that we're in conflict with, we have to have a better perspective about that person. So we have to make a list, and I think that's what he's saying to do. Make a list of all the things that are good about the person that you're in conflict with. And we gave that list out in the service. Things like their, their personality, what are personality traits that are good about them, what about their character, what about their work ethic, how they yeah. handle their money, how they treat other people. What do others say that's good about them, right? So that we get a different perspective and we realize that the person that we're yielding to has good qualities and we yield to them because of that. Mm. I'm not suggesting that we ignore what might be wrong. Right. So someone who is good can still do things that are wrong. We all do that sort of thing. But the conflict often, in order to solve it, requires us to yield, and we have to have a legitimate reason to yield, and that's we're yielding to that person because of what's good in their lives. That's one of the motives for doing it. Wow, and so you're layering perspective. And by the way, if you're looking for that list, it'll be available at city.church slash makepeace. You can download it there and get some of that, the the list of making about the person that you're in conflict with, it would be really good. But you're talking about two layers of perspective, right? So the first week you said perspective on what is good, right? right? You're taking a look at your life and you're going, hey, there's conflict, but there are things that are good about my life. The second perspective is perspective on the other person that you're in conflict with. Yes, it is. And that changes the view. So not only are you having this elevated perspective of life in general, right. you're elevating your opinion of the other person just by remembering Oh, you know what? They're, and theoretically, if you sit down to make the list, at some point you're going to start, your feelings are going to change for the yeah. person. Like the way you feel inside, yeah. not just mentally. Yeah. You're going to go, oh, I remember that time that he took us on that surprise picnic and it was the, it was the best dad thing he ever did, yeah. right? And you remember that warm right. feeling. I had a guy um, overseas that uh, we had some kind of upheaval in the organization um, just and a new guy got brought in to a new position and it, it was a pretty high position within our on the field organization and uh, and he was trying to do his job and <laughs> he became my boss well uh, I just I, it didn't go well and a bunch of that was my fault certainly not trying to blame him some of it was his fault too we, we were both yeah. uh, probably not in the best place and John, there are a few people probably that for a period of time I have been more upset with than him. I did not like the way he was leading me. And I wasn't against being led, but mm-hmm. just his way of doing it just was 
you know, it always create friction. I didn't like it. And again, I want to make clear, I, I was I was a mess too, so <laughs> I get it. But still, so um, I remember just I, I couldn't find anything. I was not willing to be kind toward him about anything. You know, I wouldn't outwardly be uh, bad, but I just inwardly my thoughts. Yeah. Well, if I go back now, and I and I want to make peace with this guy, I can name you some good things about him right now. I can tell you that a lot of people liked him. He was a he was a jovial guy. He got along with a lot of people. He absolutely loved his wife. Mm. I mean, there's just no question about it. I would say that to this day. He worked uh, he worked pretty hard with Africans. He he appreciated African people and he appreciated their unique cultures. And um, he was, a, at that time, he was a real protector of women and women's, you know, uh, equality and yeah. things like that. And in a place like Africa, to have that kind of a value where women in many of the cultures when we were there were still property, mm -hmm. for him to have that, I mean, that's just a huge quality, right? And so if I go back and do this, I just have to admit that even though I'm annoyed with this guy and I don't like working for him, there's a lot of things about him that are good. And so if I'm going to yield to him, it's not going to be the things that annoy me that are going to make me want to yield. It's the things that are good about him. And so perspective, these two perspectives really are different. In the first week where we talked about being thankful and celebrating all the good things that God has done, that changes your perspective on God. Okay, So when you're making peace, there are three people you have to make peace with. You have to make peace with God. You have to make peace with the other person. And you have to be at peace yourself. Mm. Now, I'm not saying this in the talks on the weekend. Yeah. So there just was no way for me to get all that in the yeah. talks. But you do have to do that. That's an and exclusive. It is. And so yeah. the way you make peace with God, one of the ways you do that is you step back and you take an inventory of all that's good in your life and you say, God, you have blessed my life. So when I'm angry and I'm in conflict, we not only blame the person we're in conflict with, a lot of times we'll blame God for that as well yeah. and say, you did this. Why aren't you taking care of me? Why aren't you, you know, bless me? Why aren't mm -hmm. you doing what I want? And by making that first list of all that's good in your life, it allows you to make peace with God and say, well, hang on. God, you have been good to me. You've blessed me. Then we have to make peace also with the person we're in conflict with and yielding to them and this list of all that's good about them is how we make peace with that person as well. It, it provides the opportunity to do that. And so we need that change in perspective in both ways. And, um, you know, I told a story about Rockefeller uh, at the end of that talk who there was a guy in his company, a, a vice president, who made one decision one day that cost the company in our terms today $40 million. So he had a he had a guy uh, um, that was part owner of the company named Ed Bedford, and Bedford came in that day. Everybody else avoided Rockefeller that day. It's like, man, I don't want to be close to the guy. Yeah. Not on this day. Bedford went into his office and he noticed Rockefeller was like scratching out stuff with a, a pencil on a pad of paper, and uh, Rockefeller looked up at him and he said, oh, "I guess you heard about our loss." And he goes, "Yeah." He said. Um, 
and you're probably wondering what I'm doing. He said, before I called a guy in to talk to him, I thought I would make a list of things in his favor. Mm. And Rockefeller was writing down three other occasions when the guy had made decisions that had earned the company far more than this one decision wow. had cost them. Yeah. And Bedford learned his lesson that day. He said when he would get upset with people, he would always make the list first of the things that were good about that person before he had the talk with them. Yeah. And he said, almost inevitably, my need to address them and, you know, yeah. went away. And so it completely changed his perspective on that person and it helped make peace in the relationship. That's a different spin on the what have you done for me lately mm-hmm. kind of deal. But that's how we all want to be treated. Yeah. That's, it's so interesting. We don't always apply that standard to others, but that's how we want other people. And <laughs> yeah. so I know that when somebody's mad at me, I'm like, but do you remember when I did yeah. this? And I did this and I did that. And oh, I'm a, no, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> and we don't always give that benefit of the doubt to others. Yeah. And so that's a real game changer yeah. when it comes to relationships. Yeah, it absolutely is. In fact, John, I mean, this is spiritual, but it's also just really practical. It's super if, practical. If, if you're yeah. going to be successful at your relationships, you got to live this way. And that's why I, you know, we can say really what we said last week. You don't even have to believe in God to say, okay, th- to take Paul's advice. Yeah. It's just true that if you want to get along, you can't always be focusing on everything that's wrong with the other person. And like you say, we don't want people to treat us that way. You can't treat others that way either. But we forget these things that are practical and common and that probably we really know. If if you were asked this question on the test, you'd probably answer it it right. right. But in... In conflict, there's a lot of, as my one of my bosses used to say, there's a lot of smoke on the battlefield. Mm. And when you're in the middle of it, you can't always see clearly. And so that's why it helps to have somebody like Paul giving us advice like this. So that's one of the major motives for, uh, for, for yielding, is that this is just what it takes for relationships to work. Yeah. Now, that's not the only motive. The other motive is really kind of very uniquely um, Christian uh, theology centric. Okay, so uh, if you're not believing in God, you're probably not going to buy this yeah. one. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> that's all right. Um, for those of us who are believers, and especially around here at City Church with our theology, Paul said, um, he said, let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is near. And it's like, Paul, why did you attach this little the Lord is near phrase? What is that about? Well, it's pretty significant. In Paul's theology, when he talks about the Lord being near, it's a shorthand reference to Jesus' return for his church, for people who have believed in him. And there are two times that Jesus is going to return. He's going to return in what is called the rapture. Uh, This is for, uh, he's not going to return all the way to the earth. He's going to return. He'll be, it'll happen in a twinkling of an eye, we're told. And believers that are alive, when he returns at the rapture, will be caught up together with believers in Jesus who have already died. They will be instantly resurrected, given their new eternal bodies. Believers who are alive at that time 
will be your body will be metamorphosized it'll be changed we'll have the same kind of body that jesus had so remember after jesus rose from the dead People could still touch him. Thomas mm-hmm. touched him. He could still eat food, but he could also walk through walls. Yeah. I mean, his body wow. was not like our body is now. And the New Testament teaches us that when we see Jesus again, those of us who are believers, are, we will be tra- changed and we will have the same kind of body that he has because we'll see him as he is. That's what John said in 1 John chapter 2. So <clears throat> this event known as the rapture, The Lord is near. When Paul would say the Lord is near, that meant he could come at any time to take the church back. And the Apostle Paul thought that Jesus would return in his lifetime. He had no idea that it would, 2,000 years later, he still would not have returned for the church. But so Paul really did believe that the rapture was going to happen in his lifetime and that it could happen anytime. Now, the reason that mattered for Euodia and Syntyche who he originally said this to, was because immediately following the rapture, where believers are taken back to heaven with Jesus, there's an event that is also unique to people who have believed in Jesus, and it's called the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to give an account for what we've done in this body. And the judgment seat of Christ isn't to determine whether you go to heaven or hell. That's already been determined by the fact that you have believed in Jesus. The fact that you're at the judgment seat of Christ means you're in. You're in. The question is, God's going to evaluate how you've lived your life since the time that you became a believer in Jesus. And if you've lived it well, he's going to reward you for that. And if you've lived it poorly... Um, that won't be rewarded, and there'll probably be some remorse at that moment for that. And so it's purely a judgment of your works and its rewards that you keep for eternity. I think it affects two things. I think it affects your um, intimacy with God for eternity. Heaven's a big place, if you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's it Really, it's the whole universe where God is. <clears throat> And so there are going to be varying levels of intimacy with God in eternity. And then it also involves your capacity for God, right? So we're developing our capacity for God right now Hmm. by the way we live this life. To the degree that we follow Jesus and become like him, our capacity for God is expanding. And that primarily has to do, John, with how you treat other people. Because the way we show our love for God is by loving other people. All right? So uh, at the judgment seat of Christ, how you and I have treated other people is going to be judged. Now, think about it. If you're on trial, uh, and this is a metaphor, but if you're on trial and you're being judged, the reason you hire a lawyer is you want to know the basis upon which I'm going to be judged, right? right? We want to know what does the right. law say? Because we don't understand the law. We didn't go to right. law school. We didn't so read I'm, all the books. Exactly. And so we need a, somebody who's an expert. Who says, look, yeah. if this is true and this is true and this is true, you're, and they may very well find you guilty, but if it's not true, here's how we can defend you, things like yeah. that. We want to know the standard by which we're going to be judged. Okay. Well, apply that now to the judgment seat of Christ. 
I'm going to stand before God. What is the standard of judgment that he's going to use? If I know that, then I can live up to that standard now. If yeah. I don't know it, then I'm just guessing right now how I should live. Well, Jesus spoke to this. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 2, he said, the, the standard you use in judging others is the standard that will be used against you. James, who was the half-brother of Jesus and certainly knew that he taught that, said it a little bit differently in James chapter 2. He said, if you show mercy to another, you will, God will show mercy to you. But if you show no mercy to another, he will show no mercy to you. Wow. In other words, if, if you and I are in conflict and I judge you harshly and I am willing to show no mercy to you, even with all these good things and... Uh, I'm, you know, I'm fighting for my rights and I'm pressing my rights against you. Yeah. Then at the judgment seat of Christ, God is going to press his rights against me. Ooh. If I'm gentle, he will be gentle with me. If I am forgiving, he will be forgiving with me. If I'm merciful toward you, he will be merciful toward me. Now remember, John, this has nothing to do with whether you go to heaven or hell. Yeah. That's determined by your faith in Christ. But it does determine your intimacy with God for eternity and your capacity for him. And so, John, how you and I treat one another, this willingness to yield, I am highly motivated if I believe in the judgment seat of Christ and if I want to live in intimacy and with great capacity for eternity with God, that motivates me to yield to you and to treat you differently. Yeah, man, what a motivation, right? I mean, there's practical. So there's pra we unpack the practical reasons that anybody who believes anything anywhere in the world, yep. you can adopt this. Yes. But there's also this piece for believers. There's this theological motivation yep. that is basically... <laughs> somebody's watching what you're doing and in your relationships, you will be treated by the same standard. Yes. And so what you actually do is a, is a practice or, or an indicator of what's going to happen for eternity. And yeah. so if you can be trusted in this life to be gentle, yeah. you can be trusted with more in eternity. Yes. And John, a way that we understand that only it's, it's normally not applied to eternity. It's just applied to right now is the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, we don't think of that as applying that to eternity, but that really what Jesus and James both said applied to eternity is the golden rule. Yeah. All right? But, but so that helps us understand that I should treat you the way I would want you to treat me. And, and in some sense, that goes back even to the other very practical, there's good things about you. But uh, this is just, we, we all, if we stop, and think about it, we all get it, that this is how you have to live if you want to live in peace. Mm -hmm. I've got to treat you the way I want to be treated. And that also goes to next week. <laughs> if I'm not at peace with myself, it will be hard for me to be at peace with you and to treat you that way as well. So. 
Yeah, this is great. This is so deep. This is so good. Next week, we're going to be taking questions. So that's going to be awesome. But yeah. thank you, John, for being here and sharing with, uh, with Make Peace and everything that you're doing. If you have questions, you'll be able to submit them at city.church slash makepeace at some point in the coming week. And we'll have a chance to answer them on this podcast and even some on the stage, potentially. Yeah. Pretty excited about that. Well, thank you for joining us for this bonus content for the City Church Podcast. I'm John Pyle. This has been John Witte, and we'll see you guys next week.